Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Good morning. Turn with me to John chapter 7. You can meet me there in your Bibles or on your phones. Gospel of John chapter 7. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it's page 1071 in that Bible. We are coming to the very end. Next week will be our last week of our series that we've called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit so that not just we can have good knowledge about him, but we are trying to get to know him better. Uh, Father and Son, we can understand a little bit easier. There is admittedly an element of the Holy Spirit that is a bit more mysterious, and so we've been trying to bridge that gap, getting to know Him better through studying what the Word says about Him. And just as we get to our text today, I want to show you a, a short video clip. It's from the movie Soul Surfer, which I'm sure many of you saw. came out a few years ago. Uh, it's about Bethany Hamilton, who was a teenage surfer in Hawaii who was attacked by a shark. If you remember, she had her arm uh, bitten off in a shark attack. And the story Soul Surfer is about her journey through that, and she was and is a devout Christian, and just the struggle of faith that comes with something like that, and how she was never going to surf again, and all of these things, uh, and so it's a really good movie if you haven't seen it, and I just want to show you a short clip. I thought about showing you uh, the horrific shark attack, but then I thought that was bad taste on a Sunday morning, so instead we're going to show you the big inspiring finale, where after all of her doubts and struggles with God, uh, she's in the big surf competition at the end of the movie. Who's ready to surf? That's a good picture for where we're going today, and I wanted just that image in mind, and that's an awesome movie if you haven't seen that movie. It's a good Christian movie, and by the way, isn't it awesome that Christian movies got better over the years from what we used to watch? Uh, somewhere along the way, Hollywood realized that Christians will go to the theaters if we give them something decent. And so it's a good movie with a good moral and a good story. And I just love the picture of the, it just makes surfing look so epic. And, and as we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we've talked throughout the series about how one of the metaphors that the Bible uses for the Holy Spirit is water. Uh, it comes up over and over and again, the Holy Spirit is like water. And I just like that picture of the wave because when a surfer is trying to catch a wave, uh, they don't have any control over the wave whatsoever, right? The wave is firmly in charge in that situation and is powerful and is majestic and it is going the way it's going whether you catch that wave or not. And the surfer's choice is, am I going to work with the wave? Am I going to ride that wave? Am I going to catch the wave and go where the wave is going and do what I need to do in there? But it's not about the surfer's will saying, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. The surfer has to make the choice of what whether they're going to catch that wave or not. And that is very much what it is like with the Holy Spirit. That he is great, that he is majestic, that he is in charge, that he is fully God. And so often what we do as followers of Jesus is we say, I'm going this way, Lord, bless what I'm doing. Right? We just make the call, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to ask God to bless what I want to do. But there's a whole other level of maturity and power when we don't do that, when we don't just say, I'm going to do what I want to do and ask God to bless it. But we say, where is God going? Where is the Spirit moving? Where is that wave coming? And how can I get on board with what He is doing? How can I go with the flow of where He is at work, where His power is moving? How can I partner with that? rather than just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because without the wave, the surfers got nothing, right? They're, they're just a moron paddling around on a board in the water, doing nothing whatsoever. But when the surfer partners with that wave, 
they can't control it, but they can get on board with it. And so we're talking today about how do we do that with the Holy Spirit? Because if he is God, then it's probably important for us to get on the page of what is God up to, right? Where is God moving? What is he doing? So how can I catch the wave of where the Spirit is going and where his power is at work? How can I get on his page rather than just living my life the way I want it and asking him to bless my page? So let's take a look at our text today. We're in John chapter 7. And we're starting in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we're just going to look at those few verses today. We'll look at some others as well as we go through today. Uh, so Jesus, it's one of the statements that even if you're newer to the faith or if you've been around a little bit, you're familiar with, come to me and drink, Jesus says. Uh, and there's this water metaphor. And I actually like the King James better uh, for what we're talking about today because the King James says, whoever believeth, as the, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow streams of living water. And there's this picture of water coming out of us. And, and it's just, a, I just like the picture of that. Just from our inner being that the spirit would come out. And, and we're talking about what that is like today. And one of the things we're seeing in this verse is part of the shift of the Old Testament to the New Testament. A few of you have asked throughout this series, uh, that, and you've said there seems to be something different about the spirit in the New Testament. But he's there in the Old Testament. And we see him even back to the very beginning in creation in Genesis 1. It says the spirit of the Lord was there hovering over the water. So the Holy Spirit has been here since the beginning, and yet something seems to shift as we transfer from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus is obviously that bridge, and what our passage says today is that up to this time, when Jesus is speaking in this moment, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so we just wanted to unpack that for a couple of minutes this morning. It's, so it's not that the Spirit wasn't there, but what we see in the Old Testament is that the Spirit was there, but he would be there on just a few people. It wasn't for everybody, but just a few people called prophets. And the prophets had the direct line to God. And if you wanted to hear from God, you had to hear from a prophet. And if you wanted to pray to God, you had to go to a priest. So there are these mediators who would talk to God for you or talk to you for God. And so they would do that, and it was just a few people. And the Old Testament uses this language, uh, not of the Spirit filling, but it uses the language of the Spirit came upon a person. So the Spirit came upon a prophet, and then they said what they had to say. There's also the language in the Old Testament of the Spirit lifting off a person, the Spirit of the Lord departing from somebody. And we see that in Samson's life as he breaks his vow, the Spirit of the Lord leaves him. King Saul, as he falls into disobedience, the Spirit of the Lord leaves him. King David, when he falls into adultery and murder in Psalm 51, cries out to God and says, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And so there's this understanding in the Old Testament that the Spirit came upon a few, and the purposes of God were fulfilled through them, but the Spirit could also leave if there was sin. And one of the things that shifts as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and everything that it talks about, first of all, is the Spirit is no longer just for the few. The Holy Spirit is for everybody. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. 
God says, in the new covenant. And so the Holy Spirit is no longer just for a pastor or just for a teacher or just for a leader like it was in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is available for anybody who would call upon Jesus. That lifeline, that connection to God is available for everybody. So that's the first big shift. The second big shift in the New Testament is that the Spirit is now going to live inside of us. He's not going to come upon and leave, but he's going to live inside of us. Jesus said the helper is going to come and he will be with you forever. And there's nowhere in the New Testament that uses the language of the Spirit departing off of a person. And the key is given right here, is that because Jesus hadn't been glorified, the Spirit couldn't come yet. In the Old Testament, we were still in our sin. And we were not able to host the Spirit of God within us. But in the cross, our sins were dealt with. We were forgiven. We were cleansed. And even though we know we're not perfect, we know in God's sight we are justified. We are made right. We are reconciled. We are forgiven. And so now that Jesus has gone to the cross and been glorified, now we are able to actually host the Holy Spirit within us. And that's the second big shift. And that's maybe such a common thing that we take it for granted. But man, I'm glad we live in the New Testament time that the Holy Spirit is here for us and he's made his home in us. And we'll talk a little bit about this next week as we wrap up the series. And so the Holy Spirit is here. He hadn't been poured out on everybody yet because Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. He was not living inside people yet because Jesus had not come to the cross yet. But here Jesus is saying this is what the Spirit-filled life will look like. That out of your belly streams of living water will flow. That rivers of living water would come out of you. And as we've gone through the series, we took one Sunday just to talk about uh, metaphors, word pictures that Scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit. And just as we get a a handle on sort of the mystery of the Holy Spirit, these word pictures can help us to understand Him better. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is like a dove, is like a fire, is like a water, is like wind. And it's interesting about all of these things is that they are all moving objects, Right? Doves move. They fly. Fire spreads. Water moves. Wind blows. These are all things that are in motion. The Holy Spirit is a a God at work. And and he's not always doing the same thing over and over and over again. He's moving into new things. And he's trying to move us into new places, into new ministries, into new giftings, whatever that looks like. But sometimes what we do as Christians and what we do, especially as churches, is we say, well, 20 years ago, God was moving like this. And that's the way he's always going to move. But water is is constantly moving, and fresh water is coming. And what we did 20 years ago might not work today. What we did 20 years ago might work today, but we shouldn't assume it will automatically work because the Holy Spirit is moving. He is a moving God. He is on his way to new things. In verse 38 of today's text, kind of the key, obviously, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Uh, And the picture is flowing out of them from within them. It would rise up within them and then flow out. And there's this uh, theme we see in the book of Acts, that they would be filled with the Spirit, but then they would go and they would minister in the Spirit. They would give the Spirit away. They would pray for people. They would share the gospel. They would pray for healing. They would see miracles. They would prophesy. They would do these things. The Spirit would come in, and the Spirit would go out. Streams of living water would fill them, and then streams of living water would flow out of them, out of their belly, as King James said, as they gave away what God was filling them with. The Holy Spirit is not just for you. 
And we took a week to talk about what he does for us, the ways in which he helps us, and that he opens our eyes to the scripture, and he brings us into the presence of God, and he helps us to see Jesus, and he speaks to us, and he leads us, and he guides us. Those are all absolutely true. The Spirit does these things for us, and the Spirit does come to help us, but the Spirit comes not just for us. What you have in your life, you are meant to give away. That water is meant to get out. The Spirit is on the move. Streams of living water are wanting to flow out of you to bless the world around you. The Spirit does not come just for you. He comes for you, but also to flow through you. And we want to be in the flow of the Spirit in our lives, where the Spirit fills us up, and then the Spirit moves out. As we reach out, as we serve, as we pray, as we bless other people, that the Spirit would impact other people through us. The Holy Spirit in you wants to get out. There's another picture Jesus gives us of the Spirit earlier in John's Gospel, John chapter 4. And he's sitting at a well with a, a, a Samaritan woman, and they're having a conversation about the things of God. And as Jesus so often did, he took things that he saw and things that he encountered, and he used them as word pictures to point to the kingdom. So in John chapter 4, Jesus says, everyone who drinks water uh, from this well, everyone who drinks this well water that we're sitting beside, a literal well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so when we use the water metaphor with the Holy Spirit, uh, we often view it as something that sort of comes in from the outside. And that, that is a biblical picture. God says, I will pour out my spirit on you and this image of water coming down from heaven. Uh, and so we sort of picture it as water coming in from outside. But I almost wonder if this is a, a better picture of not water coming in from the outside, but actually like a well within us, a spring that constantly has water coming up, that fills up from within because the, the danger of picturing the Holy Spirit as always out there and filling us from outside is that we sometimes then forget that he actually does live in here. And so this picture that Jesus gives us is not water coming from the outside, but water coming up from the inside. That as the helper lives in us, we will be filled from the inside and hopefully not just filled from the inside, but filled to the point where it starts flowing out in our lives where we're giving it away where we're sharing Jesus, where we're praying and taking steps of faith, where we're being obedient, where we're being a blessing, that the Spirit would come in and then the Spirit would go out as the Spirit in us wants to get out. And so there is this picture of water that is used constantly in Scripture. And one of the reasons we don't get the flow of the Spirit moving in our lives where he comes in and he goes out is because we simply don't give it away. We don't pray for people. We don't share the gospel. We don't uh, reach out. We don't serve. We don't use our gifts. And if we don't do that, I mean, the Spirit still lives inside of us. But if there's water right here ready to go in this pump, no more water is coming in until you start priming the pump and getting that water going. Once that water moves out, there will be new water that comes up to fill. And so one of the reasons people say, oh, I just don't feel God moving in my life, I don't see evidence of him working in his life, is because we're not letting that water out. It's because we're not giving it away. It's because we're not taking those steps to share what God has done in our life. And if we would do that, we would find that as the Spirit moved out, that there would be more water to fill in, and we would get into that flow that Jesus talks about, where we are filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit comes in, and then the Spirit goes out. And the more that goes out, the more there will be there to come in. We will never be left dry or alone, and we're wanting to get into that cycle of regularly being filled, not just so we can have a good time with the Holy Spirit ourselves, but filled so that we can also give it away 
and be a blessing to others and share Jesus with others. And water that stays in one place too long can become stagnant, right? And that's the, remember the commercials about mosquitoes and fight the bite and get rid of all the standing water on your property because if you have a kiddie pool full of water, it can get bacteria and the mosquitoes start to grow, right? And some people say, my walk just doesn't feel like I'm doing a lot. I don't really see like a lot of God at work in my life. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the reason is, is the water gets stagnant if it's not given away. If we're not seeing living water flow, and living water is opposed to stagnant water, Jesus says the design is that living water would be flowing in your life, and that the more you give away, the more there will be there. And we see this so clearly in the book of Acts, and we are coming to the end of our reading plan. We have, at this point, read through the book of Acts three times, if you've been reading with us, and we're going to finish that up this week, uh, just as we get ready to wrap up the series. But what we see in the book of Acts is exactly this. They are filled with the Spirit, they go give away what God's doing in their lives, and then amazing things happen, right? It's a pretty simple formula, really, if you're looking for a formula. They are filled with the Spirit, they do what the Spirit says, they give it away, and miraculous things happen. And one of the things that has struck me as we've been reading through Acts over and over and over again is actually how little the early church spends planning out ministry. Like how little time goes into, let's actually figure out what we're going to do next. There, it does happen. There are planning meetings, there are theological discussions, but there's very little ministry planning. What we see in the book of Acts is they pray like crazy, they're filled with the Spirit, and as they're filled with the Spirit, they go and they go about their day, and God opens doors, and they step out in obedience to share what they have, and as they do that, incredible things happen. As they do that, the power of God is there. They learned how to catch that wave and say, not just what do we want to do, but Holy Spirit, where are you going today? So just a few examples of this. First day of Pentecost, first time the Spirit comes and fills people from the inside. Acts chapter 2, and it says the apostles and the disciples are there, and they are praying, they are waiting, and they are praying, and they are waiting, and then the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, and they speak in tongues, and they see this divine vision of fire. And then this, all this is happening. It, it raises a bit of a commotion. A crowd starts to gather, and Peter stands up, and he preaches a message he's had no time to prepare for. This is not him going to his commentaries and researching everything. And, oh, what's the original Hebrew mean when we talk about this? But he just stands up in the power of the Spirit. He preaches a gospel message, and 3,000 people get saved on the spot. Not because of his great plan, but because the Holy Spirit was there. Out of Peter, he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit went in. The Spirit went out as he proclaimed the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved in that moment. It's simple in a way. And in some ways, it's harder to get our heads around because we're, we're planning people. And I personally am definitely a planner. Acts chapter 4. The disciples gathered together. Verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And so the Spirit filling comes first, the Spirit comes in, and then they speak the word of God boldly because they've been filled with the Spirit. It's easy to speak the word of God boldly without the Spirit if I just want to get up here and just start hammering you guys with harsh phrases. But out of the flow of the Spirit, the word of God is declared boldly. The two things go hand in hand. The Spirit comes in and the Spirit goes out. There's a story in Acts chapter 3 of Peter and John. They're just going for a walk one day. They're not in ministry mode at all. They're literally just walking, and they see a lame man at the side of the road. He asks them if they have anything that they can share, and Peter famously says, Gold and silver have I none, but what I have I have to give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this man gets up, who has never walked before, and he walks. 
So they're not planning. They're not orchestrating this. They weren't, uh, you know, sitting and, and praying for 20 minutes at the spot before they prayed for the guy. They were living a life where they were filled with the Spirit. They were sensitive enough to his leading that they knew how to catch that wave. And when the opportunity presented itself, they were bold enough to step out in obedience. And a man who never walked before got up and walked in the name of Jesus. They caught the wave. And it wasn't about what are we going to do to make good ministry happen today. It was we are going to work on being filled with the Spirit, and then the Spirit will lead us where we need to go, where incredible things can happen. My favorite story of this is in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I love this story because the Bible says that Philip, who was a Spirit-filled man, uh, just sort of got up one day, and the Holy Spirit said, go for a walk on this road. That's it. That's all the instruction he got. Go for a walk on this road. So he does. And in the distance, he sees a chariot at the side of the road. And the Holy Spirit says, go walk by that chariot. Go head over in that direction. It's all the instruction he got. And so he does. And as he goes there, the Ethiopian eunuch is sitting there, and he's reading a passage of Scripture. Someone has given him a passage of Isaiah, and he's reading this passage of Isaiah. And this door opens for Philip to share the gospel with him, and he gets saved, and he gets baptized on the spot. And one of the reasons I love this story uh, is because I have a hard time putting myself in that story. Because for me, what I would prefer to happen would have been for the Holy Spirit to wake me up and say, Chris, I want you to go for a walk on this road, and you're going to see a chariot. Go up to that chariot, and there's going to be a guy there, and he's going to be reading the Bible, and the door will be open for you to share the gospel, and then you're going to baptize him after that. That would be great. But what Philip gets is go for a walk. That's it. And then as he does that, he gets the next step. Head over to that chariot. And as he does that, there's the next step. There's a man reading the Bible. He's ripe for harvest to hear about Jesus. And so it shows that for Philip, he didn't get the whole picture, and he didn't actually need the whole picture. He needed to be obedient step by step. And that tells me that for me, I don't have to understand the whole picture. I just need to be obedient to step by step what the Spirit is nudging me to do on any given day. I don't have to have the whole plan figured out. I just have to take it one step at a time. But in all of these stories, in Peter uh, and in the lame beggar and in Philip and in the, uh, the disciples praying, it's the same picture. The Spirit fills them up, and then the Spirit goes out of them as they pray, as they prophesy, as they pray for miracles, as they declare Jesus, as they do all of these things, sharing the gospel. And the, the picture is really the only time in our lives where water overflowing is actually a really good thing. Because most of the time in our life, overflowing water is not a good thing at all. We had a storm once, and our power went out for hours. Uh, we were living in Essex at the time, and our sump pump went dead, and uh, it was just too long to be out. And as in the middle of a thunderstorm, the water started pouring in. And so for about four hours, I bailed it out by hand because the sump pump was dead, and I was trying to save the basement. And I did it. woo I'm the man. But overflowing water is not typically a good thing, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, overflowing water is exactly what we want. We want to be filled with the Spirit to the point where He's flowing out of us, where we are giving away what He is doing in us, where we are sharing what we have. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give it away. You've received the gospel, give away the gospel. You've received prayer, give away prayer. You've received whatever blessing you've got from him, give that away. Because the spirit in you wants out. Streams of living water are trying to come out of you. And there's a warning in scripture as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. Some versions say, do not put out the spirit's fire. And we're mixing up our metaphors now. We're moving into a fire metaphor just for a second. 
Don't quench the spirit. Do not put out the spirit's fire. And easy to skim over, especially if we don't understand the spirit well, and, and easy to go, okay, well, that's good advice. But I guess what struck me this week as I was getting ready was just the, the incredible responsibility that comes with this commandment. Because it tells me that the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, who is majestic and powerful, who is everything that God is, and who has this power to heal, to restore, to save, uh, to do all of these incredible things, who is hovering over the face of the waters at the beginning of creation, who is always on the move, who is always up to something, who is fulfilling what God wants to do on earth, the Holy Spirit can actually be stopped by me in my life. I can actually stop the activity of the Spirit. I can put the candle out. I can actually get in the way of what the Spirit wants to do in me. And that's not to say His will won't be done. If He's not going to use me, He'll find somebody else to do it. But I can actually put out the Spirit's fire in my life, in my church, whatever. I can actually stop what He wants to do. And there's a a weightiness to that, right? Like there's a heaviness to that, that Almighty God who wants to bless you and work through you can actually be stopped depending on what we choose to do uh, with what he is doing in our lives. Another verse uh, a bit similar, Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And again, this picture that he's not an it, the Holy Spirit is not a force, it's not a, a divine energy or a divine power on its own. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a mind, he has a will, he has emotions. He can feel heartache. He can be grieved by what we do. I think it's interesting too. It's not do not anger God the Spirit. It's don't grieve him. Don't break his heart by the actions that we choose to do. That's Ephesians 4.30. And around that one verse, there are things listed uh, that are involved in our grieving the Holy Spirit. It says our lies, our anger, our unwholesome talk, our bitterness, our rage, our fighting, our slander, our malice, our sexual immorality, our impurity, our obscenity, our greed. And I don't know if that's an exhaustive list. You know, I, I think it's probably not meant to be, but just the idea that our sin grieves the Spirit of God. And that is one of the ways that we can stop the, the flow, the activity of what he's doing in our lives. He, I don't think he ever leaves us. I don't believe that. Some people teach that. I think when Jesus said, the helper's coming to live with you forever, he meant that. Uh, there was no condition put on it. We're forgiven in God's eyes, even though we still struggle with sin, so the Spirit can make his home here. And if the Spirit does leave us every time we sin, that begs the question, well, how do we get him back, right? How do we get him back? Sounds a little bit too works-based if we're saying our sin keeps him here and our, our, or our purity keeps him here and our sin can cause him to leave. But at the same time, we can put out the Spirit's fire. We can grieve him. And I know just experientially that at times when there is sin in our lives, as I walk with people, as I struggle with my own sin, that we can kind of stop that flow of the Spirit moving in our lives. So I had a really cool illustration planned out today where I was going to get some Diet Coke and Mentos. Remember that uh, science experiment from grade 9 science fair? And so if you add Mentos to Diet Coke, it, it, it blows up, right? The water, the pop shoots up in the air. And, uh, and I like that picture. I just thought, oh, that's kind of a cool picture of the, the spirit rising up within us and getting out. Uh, and so I actually bought a bunch of Diet Coke this week and like 40 packs of Mentos. And I was in my bathtub trying to figure out a way to make this work where I wouldn't soak the ceiling and the speakers. Uh, and it turns out it's just way too crazy uh, an experiment to do in church on a Sunday morning. So I couldn't pull it off in a way that wasn't going to be a real mess. And then the trustees were going to get mad at me and it was just going to be more trouble than it was worth. So... Instead of that awesome illustration, 
we're going to do a little bit of clip art this morning that's going to replace it. And so picture this then. If the, the picture that Jesus gives us is that the Spirit comes in and the Spirit is meant to go out of us as we bless and as we use our gifts and as we serve, then picture us like a pipe. And in a perfect world, when a pipe is working perfectly, there is the pipe and the water just flows through it the way that it is supposed to flow through it. Come on, that's better than Mentos exploding diet pop, right? That's incredible. There was an arrow moving. Let's, you know what? Let's see it again. It was so good. So good. Oh, yeah. Look at that. The water flows. And that's the way a pipe is supposed to work. And then what ends up happening is that, I didn't do all of them, but just a few of the things on that list, like with our anger, with our slander, our bitterness, our sexual immorality, and a lot of these things I think are pretty universal, uh, they just have a way of clogging up the pipe, right? They just have a way of clogging it up, and the, the flow of the Spirit just can't happen in the same way. And I don't think he stops completely his work in our lives. I think the water can still kind of seep through. But these things just have a, an ability to clog the pipe, to, to stop up the flow or at least lessen the flow. And again, just experientially, uh, I have found this to be true, right? Like, have you ever sat to read your Bible when you're angry at somebody? Like, was it a really fulfilling experience when you did that? I've had this recently where I was just frustrated with somebody and I just couldn't read my Bible. I was just, I kept going to that thing. The anger in me was getting in the way and I got up and I tried to pray and what I ended up praying about was how much of a jerk this person was in my life. It did not feel like a moment where the Spirit was flowing through me with freedom. There was a, a pastor friend of mine who recently had to remove uh, a worship leader in his church. It was a married man who, who they found out was having multiple affairs and so they said, you know, take a break from ministry. Let's get you some counseling. Let's work on your marriage. Let's try and save things. And when I asked my friend, the pastor, I said, did that shock you? Because this was one of your main leaders in the church. I said, was it a shock? Did you see it coming at all? And he said, well, I didn't see it coming in the sense of, he said, yeah, it was a shock to hear. It's always a shock to hear. But he said, you know, for months ahead of time, before we found this out, he said every time he led worship, like it just felt dead in the room. There was no sense of God's presence. There was no sense of we were being led to the throne. There was no excitement in the room. There was no sort of, just, it just seemed dead, just spiritually dead. And so he said, in that sense, it was, when it came out, it, it made sense kind of in retrospect. And, and again, it's not that the water leaves the pipe. The Spirit is still with us, but these things just have a way of clogging it up so that he can't flow as well as he could. And that's why when Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, the next verse, Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of these things. Right? We, we stop grieving him when we stop sinning. We stop putting out the fire when we stop doing these things. And so as we work on getting rid of our anger and getting rid of our slander and our bitterness and our immorality, then the pipe is freed up again for it to him to flow the way that he wants to. Now, I don't think we ever do this perfectly uh, in this lifetime, and I fully confess to you, I am a clogged up pipe to some extent. But as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit comes not just to convict us of our sin, but to actually help us get out of our sin. And as much as we acknowledge, hey, you know what, we're all clogged up in some ways, we've all got sin that we're working on, as much as we acknowledge that we all do that and we want to be authentic about that, we also don't ever want to stay there in our sin because we are called to holiness. So we don't ever want to get to that place where we're so authentic that we're just comfortable in our sinfulness and I don't need to worry about my bitterness because I know Rob's really bitter too. 
right? And so we're trying to, to move past that, and the Spirit comes to help us do that. And again, I don't think we ever get a perfectly clear pipeline uh, in this lifetime, probably, but again, I just know from experience that where there is sin in my life, the Spirit has a lot of trouble flowing, and as I work on that, the flow is able to come back, where the Spirit comes in, and the Spirit moves out, and is a blessing to others. And in the book of Acts, we just see this whole principle moving so well. They were filled, and then they gave it away, and the more they gave it away, the more they were filled, and as they gave it away, amazing things happened, and they were filled more, and then they went out, and they gave more away, and this incredible cycle of the Spirit coming in, and the Spirit going out, streams of living water filling them up, and flowing out of them to bless and transform the world. Incredible things happening as they do that. And the more we give away, the more there is there. The filling doesn't stop. The Spirit is there to give us what we need. And as I read through Acts, I was trying to, one of the questions we gave you to ponder was, what did they have that we don't have? Right? Because I haven't raised the dead lately. You? Anyone? So what do they have that we don't have? What can we learn from them and how they did things? And I found just a, a pretty clear little formula, and I actually really hate formulas, personally. I think most of life is too complicated for formulas. But there's just some principles I see them doing uh, that, that are very simple but just seem very clear, and they just kind of make sense. So first of all, uh, they connected with God a lot. They prayed like crazy. They took time out. They were never too busy. They made time to connect with God. We all connect with God in different ways, but um, that was a huge priority for them. They connected with God. They received from God. They were filled with the Spirit. They received direction. They, they received uh, discernment as to what they needed to do next or where they needed to go. And we don't ever have to do that by ourselves either. In the book of Acts, they always do it as a team. As a team, they, they discern together. They hear from God together. No one has to do this by themselves. So they connected to God. They received from God. And then they went and they obeyed God. They did what they were supposed to do. They took those steps. They took leaps of faith sometimes, right? It's a lot of faith to walk up to a lame stranger on the street and say, get up and walk. Right? That's a tremendous amount of obedience. I'm not suggesting that it's always easy. But as they connected with God, as they received from God, then they went out and did the things that God was calling them to do. And as they did that, that's where thousands get saved. That's where healings happen. That's where demons are driven out. That's where miracles happen. That's where the church is at its best, where the gospel is spreading and the power of God is displayed as the gospel is spreading. And amazing things happen that give glory to Jesus, not because we're great, but because the stream of living water are flowing out of us with Holy Spirit power. The Spirit comes in. The Spirit goes out. But we need to take that step of obedience so that he can go out. Because I can choose just to keep this all to myself. But he is in us and he wants out. The Spirit is on the move. And living water is wanting to bless and refresh the world around you, not just you. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. They connected with God. They received from God. They obeyed God. And it's not a perfect formula, maybe, and maybe overly simplistic, but it seems very clear to me in the book of Acts that this is what they did. And so the challenge for you today is, how are you doing in these three things? Sometimes we don't have any Holy Ghost power in our lives because we're not connecting with God, right? He's the source of power. If we don't connect with the power source, we're not going to have a lot of power. If we're not seeking the filling, we're not going to be filled. So how are you doing on the connection side Sometimes we can connect with God, okay, but are we receiving? Are we taking the time to, to listen, to discern, 
to, to get a sense of where he's going, to be filled, to overflowing? Like, do we take that time? The disciples were told to wait until the Spirit came. So they prayed. They were connecting, connecting, connecting for 10 days, but they didn't actually do anything until they received the Holy Spirit. And then they received the power they needed to go out and do everything that they were called to do. So we need to connect. We need to receive. But then you actually need to do it. And sometimes we don't see the Spirit flowing in our lives because we don't do the obedience part. We don't share Jesus with anybody. We don't serve. We don't use our gifts. One of the most interesting things about Acts as well that you may have noticed is how little the gospel sharing and miraculous things happen in the church setting. Right? They do gather together in the church all the time, but so often the miracles happen out in the streets and in somebody's house, in the marketplace. Like, it doesn't happen in the church. They would gather together, and they would learn, they would grow, they would pray, they would get filled, but they, that was the, the Spirit coming in part. And then they went out in the rest of their week, and that's where the Spirit came out, and that's where the real power was. So we need to connect, we need to receive, we need to obey. How are you doing in each of those three areas? Which one needs some attention in your life? Sometimes we're good at connecting and obeying, but we don't receive. And so we're just doing things on our own because we haven't received from the Spirit what we're supposed to do. All of them are crucial. And so that's just for you to ponder this week. How does that look in my life? We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. Be happy to keep chatting about this message. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you want to grab a coffee, we're very happy always to keep the conversation going. There's only so much you can cover in a half-hour message, but we'd be happy to keep chatting there. Jesus told us in John chapter 3 that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, God gives the Spirit in unlimited measure. And your version might have a few different ways that's interpreted. Some says God gives His Spirit without limits. God gives His Spirit uh, unlimitedly, and different versions say different things. But it's, it's beautiful and powerful and incredible, right? God, there's no limits on how much of His Spirit He wants to give us. There's no limits. God gives the Spirit without limits. And that's the incredible promise and beauty and power of that word. The challenge of it is, is that if the Spirit is not moving overly in my life, that must mean that I am putting limits on Him. Right? Because if God wants me to have the fullness of what Jesus had, of what the apostles had, if there's no limits on how much Holy Spirit He wants me to have, then if I'm not walking like an apostle, then that means I'm limiting the Spirit in my life. And that could be by not connecting, by not receiving, by not obeying, uh, by having too much sin, clogging up the pipe. There's lots of reasons that we talked about today. But my goodness, if the Spirit is available without limits, don't you want that? No? Just me? All right. Like, it's available. It's a promise from the lips of Jesus himself. The Spirit without limits is available. And as we've been saying this whole series, I mean, it starts with the prayer. Just come, Holy Spirit. I want to know you better. I want to know what the filling looks like. I want to know what gifts I have. I want to know where I can reach out. I want to know what it looks like in my life to have streams of living water come in. I want to be that person where the Spirit comes in and the Spirit goes out, that I can walk in the way that you've called me to walk, that the Spirit who lives in me, who wants out, that I will let him out, that the streams of living water will come out as I do what you've called me to do. Yes? We're going to worship a bit more. We're going to pray a little bit more. Would you stand with me, please, as we get ready to close? Yes, to be people who are filled with your spirit. We want to be people. Your, your living stream of water is flowing out of us. And this morning, as we as we just sang, Father, we acknowledge that there's nothing like you. There's nothing that's enough in our lives like you are. There's no one who can heal like you can heal, who can try.
transform hearts like you can transform hearts. And Father, this morning, as we worship you, we just ask you to give us the courage and the boldness to go out there and just to allow your spirit to flow out of our hearts and just to bless the people in our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have a great week.